Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Welcome, guys, to uh, another really cool episode. In the interview today, what I'm talking about, and this is for the people that are here live, um, we are going to be talking to Tanner Kalstrom, who runs GameTextures.com. There's a lot of fantastic things to talk about in this conversation. One of them is Tanner uh, is CEO of GameTextures. So I want to talk to another CEO about being a CEO and an artist. <laughs> I'm excited about that conversation. <laughs> um, also, Game Textures has gone some, through some really cool changes, actually. In fact, I think GameTextures.com is a very fascinating kind of um, uh, profile in the changes that are happening in the games and some of the, some of the, um, some of the changes that required people at, at a certain point to basically say, I'm going to stay in the industry or I'm going to leave the industry. It's kind of a fascinating thing uh, and uh, and all that good stuff. And then also they've been doing some amazing stuff over on YouTube, um, just kind of live streaming or basically recording, you know, their process. Uh, so Tanner, man, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's always it's always fun to talk to you, Ryan. I, I, I brought this up last time, but I have I have I think how many books do you have now? I have two or three of your books sitting on my shelf. Mm. at home that have, that have just been a solid source of inspiration for me over the years. So awesome. it's, it's fun that, uh, you know, you're one of those people that got me through school, which is what I brought up last time. Cause I was like, man, there's some dark times going to game development school. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it can be a very, a very angsty grind. Mm. And I remember, I remember at one point I had a, a professor that was like, look, everybody in this class is struggling. Not with your art, but just with like your morale. <laughs> he, he very gently reminded us to to gather all of the inspiration that we needed, all of the people that inspired us, and put them in a place where we could see them, touch them. Uh, not the people, of course, their art, but see mm-hmm. see their art and touch it and get it in our in our mind space whenever we needed it. And I can't tell you how valuable that's been to me as an artist over the years. Is just surrounding myself by having an infinite number of art books and whatever sculptures and things that inspire me and yeah, people around me that inspire me. And, you know, yours has been, yours has been a uh, stand, uh, a steady, steady hand in that for all the years. So mm-hmm. thanks for all those books. That was, that was really uh, helpful to me in the formative years of trying to figure out how to be a video game artist, how to be an artist. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so- what got you into this then if we i mean we can just start right there like you went to game dev school and you went to game dev school uh uh, about when if we can if we can uh, age Mm. you here yes to age me Mm. i i went to full sale Mm -hmm. in 2007 Mm -hmm. dropped out in 2007 (laughs) (laughs) uh realized that florida was not the place for me packed my bags, packed everything I owned, packed my puppy into a U-Haul trailer and moved to the opposite side of the continent to Vancouver, where I went to Think Tank Training Center, mm-hmm. which uh, was was probably the best decision I could have made. Uh, 
long story short, but I've been doing uh, video game art and I've been doing 3D art since I was like 12. So mm-hmm. this has been this has been a lifelong journey for me. It's been it's been I was I was one of those people lucky enough to to find something that really excited me mm-hmm. from a young age and have you know I mean for lack of better word the privilege to sit there and doodle around on my gateway with True Space three and uh, animate Star Wars stuff, which is what I did with all my friends. I animated like Tie Fighters exploding. I was super obsessed with trying to figure <laughs> out how to make things explode in 3D. Um, nice. And you know, it just, it just, I, uh, I sat there in Photoshop, and Photoshop became quickly became a second language to me. Uh, and one day I was sitting there in high school. Somebody was talking to me about what bachelor's degree I wanted and what part of what cog I was going to fit into in this world and I had no answers because all I really wanted to do was be an artist and again when you're in high school there's not that much <laughs> support for you saying hey I want to be an artist mm-hmm. right everybody's like oh that's not that's not something that's tangible you need to pick something that's realistic Tanner and uh, you know I was sitting there one night playing city of heroes and i realized that i had everything that i needed to know to to be a video game artist i don't really know what was stopping me i just had a realization and uh at a whim i pretty much at a whim i just packed my bags moved to florida um started at full sale and uh you know the rest is history from that moment on so yeah, it's been it's been a winding road for me to get here. And um, again, I was I've been I've been super lucky to have people all around me my entire life that supported me and you know gave me the right feedback and the right information when I needed it. Yes, yeah, Travis, City of Heroes for the win. Mm. So, who supported you in this artist journey when you were younger? Because I think um, I mean that's a good thing for us to kind of dive into a bit because a lot of people especially people listening to this and people like myself like when i told people i was an artist i didn't like i didn't tell them and i'm i'm an artist it's they already knew and there was literally nothing else i was going to be able to do so (laughs) there was no conversation there was no choice but um you know were you in a situation like that like and you had other choices and you made a conscious decision to be an artist or or was it just that was it you know i think much like you, it was always something that I was going to be, regardless of of which direction I set out in. Mm-hmm. Um, the way people supported me was, you know, I had a really decent 800 megahertz Intel Pentium 3 computer that was just barely capable of running TrueSpace and 3D Studio Max. And, uh, you know, as most young people do i had plenty of time to mess with it and that's really that's really the support i had i remember this very clear moment when i realized that this was going to be a weird thing for me to do was uh i was like super excited about the star wars animation i made i had finally figured out how to make a tie fighter blow up or something and i called my entire family and it was thanksgiving and i was like check out what i made and i was so excited for their feedback and all i got was like a, a bunch of oh honey what are you doing with your life? <laughs> I was like, this is, this is cool, guys. I did this in my computer. You don't get it. And uh, uh, they didn't get it, but they thought that, hey, maybe this, maybe he has some passion for this, so he should, he should get into it. And do they get it now? They get it now, ba- barely, <laughs> barely. They, uh, 
they they don't quite understand what it is I do, and I'm not sure they ever will. I just tell people I'm a game designer at this point mm-hmm. um, because it's it's easier than explaining that I make the wallpapers for video games. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's it's my it's funny. My my uh, wife's grandmother still tells people that I design wallpaper. Oh my god, that's hilarious! Really, yeah, she's like, he's a wallpaper designer. <laughs> That's what's so strange about this industry is you can tell people what you do and they still don't get it. Yeah, not quite. Yeah, Yeah. it's so, I don't know, it's just at the edge. And um, Game Textures has been at the edge. Their last conversation, we talked about one of the, the, in fact, I think last time we talked, you hadn't quite changed the site over. Am I I think that's right. Yeah, I think we are just about to pull the trigger on on a total revamp of our entire product log, which represents like three years of my life, which is why my hair is going gray now at the mm. ripe age of 32. Um, Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, so it was right there. So what was yeah. Game Textures before, just so people have some context? Well, so my, 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 my concept for Game Textures was, again, another whim of the whim of the moment idea where I woke up in the middle of the night and was like, why don't I do that? Uh, where I was working in the video game industry, I was doing I was doing 60, 70 hour weeks for several years and I was just so burned out. And I realized that so much of my job wasn't art anymore. It was just like bug fixing and, you know, I wasn't getting to do what I wanted. And mm. the only thing I ever really enjoyed in the whole process was the texturing phase in general. So, uh, I was sitting there one night and I realized that I was tired of converting other people's JPEGs into materials and that I could just do it myself and sell those to people. And mm-hmm. that was the initial concept was just to just to have a library of materials for people to use. And I think, I mean, I, I know some people were doing or some companies were doing stuff like this before, but for film and they weren't that great. But I think we were the first full material library uh, out there, I think we were the first people to start that that process. What do you mean by full material library? Like our products had, you know, the diffuse map, the normal map, the height map, the gloss map, the specular map. You know, it was a full a full kit of of products for people to use instead of just like you know going to CG textures and grabbing a brick wall. It was like, hey, I'm going to go to Game Textures and grab a brick material and save myself a couple hours of work. And that was really it. It's like, hey, man, we can we can help you guys by making you not have to make brick anymore and you know back back then when all of the games coming out were like call of duty and whatever that seemed to be like a huge time saver so that was the original concept just to save a little some people some time and maybe maybe get back to doing what i enjoyed the most which was selling or i'm sorry making uh materials and making did you get back did you get back to that or did you yeah. find starting your own company was there other things you had to deal with yeah yeah, there was there was a period of time where me and Matt Matt and I made I think 900 materials over like a 9 month period just like by hand in ZBrush, Mudbox, sculpting, painting, uh bringing into Photoshop, baking it down, doing the whole process. We made 900 of them in about a year. Oh, and I got what I asked for, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got what I asked for. And so I was there was a period of time where I was very heavy involved in the art. These days most of my job is just wrangling artists, which is fine too. Um I get to do some of the fun stuff, some of the marketing stuff, uh 
some of the material concepts are, are in my domain. But at this point, the people around me and that we've grown the company with are just so much better at it than I ever was, which is great. It's great to see all of them advance like that. Yeah. Yeah. Did so you ever think, to do some art. Did you ever think you were going to have um, CEO in the no. title? I still don't like it in the title. Personally. I was going to ask you that because last time I talked to you, you didn't. And I and I see CEO game <laughs> textures, and I'm like, I I think I understand this guy. Yeah, yeah. There was there's so we have at this point we've grown a lot since mm -hmm. we launched in 2012. You know we've mm -hmm. had like 30,000 subscribers, and like we've had we've had just so much success. And there's a lot of people around me who would rather my title be CEO than director, which I firmly disagree with, just because I don't really understand what that means. But mm -hmm. um, that's not my training at all. I just like to tell, you know, I just like to make art. I just want to build practical things for artists. So I have reservations about the CEO thing. I would rather just be called like the director or the guy, whatever. The guy. <laughs> yeah, fact is, fact is, it's the least important part of this of this machine at this point. Yeah, it's uh, interesting as an artist, uh, you know, you started this to do what you love. And it's grown, but I, it's an interesting conversation I think to have because a lot of us artists, you know, it's this is I had this own my my own path down here, creating online courses and training, mm -hmm. and and then now you know I have a school and other people train, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm still like I can't pull myself out actually. I, almost every single class I try to have at least a you know a hand in because um, I can't right, do right. so much. But talk to me about that journey of of entrepreneurship because that's really what that is mm -hmm. the journey yeah that's single-handedly been the hardest part of this entire thing right mm -hmm. is um i went to art school i have been only immersed in art for 20 years of my life um, and i really don't have that many great business mentors so everything that i've learned is just from reading i just i I read like crazy. Whenever there's something coming up, I go and find the top two or three books about that subject and I just read them and try to put those pieces together in my mind so that I can actually understand it. And, you know, that does the trick. That does the trick most of the time. Um, for, for business, it's funny because like all, all I ever wanted to do is figure out how to make money from my art, right? That's all any right. art. That's the, the the bane of every artist is how do I get paid to do what I love? Yeah. Uh, and how indeed, right? There's there's a million things to do and some of them don't feel so nice. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I think the things I struggle with is we have internally, I have this, this company uh, vibe to try to just be real, right? To try to mm -hmm. remember that we're artists and that we're we're of the community and we've always been part of the community. We are from the community and we want to help and be a better part of the community. So some of the things that you have to do in order to grow a company feel very dirty, mm -hmm. uh, which is namely advertising and marketing and mm -hmm. Those are things that I've always struggled with, even though I think intuitively I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. uh, also intuitively, I have a lot of just ethical issues with the over advertising and over marketing that, that so many uh, companies do in order to gain success, which has been part of the reason I think that we've been slower to grow than some of our competition, which is fine. 
mm-hmm. it's fine. I, I just have to draw a line. So there's a lot of things that I've, I've learned in that, in that vein. And some of it is actually all of it is just about staying true to us and staying true to what I believe and what I want the people around me to, uh, the, the, just the, whatever the, the code of conduct, the people around me have is very important. So, um, yeah, I don't, it's been, it's been a very interesting journey in that, in that vein, because now, like I said, we've, we've grown so much over these years that there's external factors in that conversation. And <laughs> that can then be, that, that can be not so much fun. There's, you know, investors and that kind of stuff where it's just kind of ugly. It can yeah. be ugly. It's interesting because we start this as artists and we're really looking for a way to free ourselves mm. to, to be artists, but the path to that quote unquote freedom is its own it's its own deal and it's not it's not necessarily free. Well, I can tell you that there was a period of time maybe two years ago, probably right around the last time we spoke, where mm-hmm. things were going extremely well and we had grown to like, you know. 15 employees and there was a lot of stuff happening around me and 15 doesn't seem like that many people but it is That's a lot, lot to manage, it's a yeah. lot of people to manage especially for somebody who doesn't have a lot of leadership experience mm-hmm. and you know things were working really well you know all of the all of the things were clicking it seemed like we were being successful um and there was a moment where i realized that it just wasn't fun anymore and that we weren't being super true to ourselves anymore and we were trying overly hard to be this entity that was like i don't know present ourselves as some like epic awesome business that all these people are involved in and we're this huge corporation that makes textures and uh i ended up realizing that that was just a mistake and so we took a big step back and um shrank our company quite a bit quite a bit to the point where uh we were kind of at our skeleton crew and we're still kind of at our skeleton crew and the result has been a much healthier much happier me and a much happier business in general so i would agree with you that there's there's a certain balance there and it's very easy to get lost in those things um and again that's not... you... go ahead is that when you guys started your uh, youtube and started pushing that yeah, we started our YouTube in the last uh, probably one year or so. Um, there, because like, really the thing we're seeing here is that there's a lot of people that are learning this very complicated, very in-depth skill set, which is to create video games and create digital art. And mm-hmm. what does that mean to be a digital artist? It means that or uh, let me rephrase that. What does it mean to be a professional digital artist at this point? Right, fair enough. And it means that you have a bunch of skills and you're, you know how to, you know, you, you know how to UV, you're a master at understanding density of textures and you can texture assets and you know how to sculpt and bake and use substance painter and Quixel mixer and all of these things. And, um, but how do you, you know, that's the end point, right? That's that's like what it takes. That's what a professional artist is in this industry. But before that, there's a lot of skills that people just don't really talk about that much. So the goal of what we do is at this point, and it was it was really represents a whole turning point of the general strategy of our of what I'm trying to do is 
be real. Remember that we are artists and that we all had all of these, you know, all of this stuff was a huge mystery to all of us at one point. And mm -hmm. when I think back and I, 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 I figure out, you know, I really think back at the things that the, the big formative moments, the big epiphanies I had, uh, they were almost all because I was out there in the wilderness of the internet, just trying to figure something out. And I had a, an, a, an epiphany from, you know, somebody like you or, you know, some random comment I read on the internet that really brought me over a hump and got me to a point where I understood a process. And those are the things that we really are aiming to teach people, right? Is, is not, not so much modeling. Everybody can model. I think modeling is kind of like the thing that you learn right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, not everybody can texture. Not, and interestingly, I don't believe that everybody has to be a great material artist or texture artist, mm -hmm. but it's the technical skills in between the LODs and the optimizations and, and optimizing your UVs and the boring things that are, that don't make the sexiest videos, but, and you know, the greatest topics, but are just so important to what it means to be a professional artist. And those are what we focus on on our YouTube channel, right? Is, is like practical things. Hmm. It's Let's dive into that then. Um, so game uh, game textures started doing full textures, and now you mm. guys have uh, because this industry changed. Um, in fact, maybe we should hear this. You should explain because it, it was originally like you know you had a diffuse the the whole diffuse channel. I uh, mean that's basically gone slash converted. Yep. Um, so what what change happened that made you create a new game textures? Um, I think it was all of them in one, really. It was there was a huge push from from scanning to procedural technology to mm -hmm. PBR materials. The, those three things really came together in an intense way for us because it was like all of a sudden everything needs to be physically based, and then all of a sudden we need to have substances for everything, and then all of a sudden we needed to have scans, and we needed to be like, you know, we needed to be. Uh, on top of technology and that's a huge task when you have whatever 5,000 products right right that's a huge task and it's a huge ask for us so really the change from game textures was we're trying to get our, our stuff into a more efficient pipeline on our own end and uh, in that process we realized that we were never going to be the company that had you know a hundred thousand products that wasn't what we were trying to do Mm -hmm. uh, what we are trying to do and our real advantage in this world is to build, to build practical things that artists can actually use. Right. Right. Um, and I might just be, you know, I might be biased on this. I fully admit that, but, um, the amount of, the amount of portfolios I see that are just filled with scans and stuff that was purchased doesn't really tell me what you are as an artist and, I'm not totally sure that it's helping people's cases when they're trying to get jobs. Um, and to be honest, a lot of that stuff isn't that practical yet for, for video games. So mm -hmm. what we do is we focus on, we focus on practical. Everything that we build has to be practical. And that's my entire goal. If, if a material we build is not practical, then I don't want it. Um, well, I think that's a good, um, point for for us to make about environment texturing's largely i mean of course there's a bunch to deal with with character but environment arts is where this really shines um and that's where this whole notion of practicality and you know what 
is a texture, I think is a really important conversation. I was just talking to um, a couple of my students, Adrian and Alberto today. Uh, they finished the gray boxing stage of, mm -hmm. of their scene. And now the question is, what do you do after you gray box? And, you know, if you're making a prop, the workflow is simple. High res, low res texture, render it, you know, yep. basically get it in the game. But when you create an environment, things change. Like even character, character still high res, low res texture, render it. Sure. But when you deal with an environment, again, some... Um, there's several workflows that kind of change it. And uh, one of those workflows is, is materials now do a heck of a lot more than they ever did before. Oh, yeah. um, for example, your door. If we look uh, at game textures and we go over to these, like these these are these doors. I mean, I guess you used to do these with full textures as well. Sure, um, yeah. But still, it's quite a comprehensive thing that these materials are doing these days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the key differences with environment art versus character or prop art is that everything that I mean, it's like it's like fifty percent technical art, right? There's there's so much understanding of of how these textures and assets have to fit into the big picture of things. You mean environment uh, art? Yeah, environment art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I don't mean that in the sense that you're like programming tools and you know Python. I'm saying it in the sense that it's technical where you have to be very clever and very creative and uh, do a lot of planning ahead of time to make sure that what you're doing is indeed the proper and smartest way to do something. Right. So, you know, you know, back in the day, we used to do doors like this and these, it's, it's funny because we were, we were talking about this just before it started is that I've been using trim sheets my entire career. Um, Back in back when we used to call them texture atlases, hmm. and right now they're they're really in vogue again because we're starting to see artists post them on ArtStation. We're starting to see them pop up in portfolios. Uh, but really, what a trim sheet is is it allows you to build potentially entire environments using only a single material. And that's that's a, when you're talking about optimization and efficiency in a game. That's it's. it's without a doubt, the best thing that you could do in your in your scene, in your art, is to sit there and plan out how all of these materials or all of these objects and items can use as few textures as possible. And that's really what we're aiming for, right? So, you know, if you open up that, that door that you're looking at, our goal with that, uh, our goal with that was to build something that an artist could easily come in and, you know, either build that door or build any variation of that door with the wainscoting or any variation of that wainscoting as quickly as possible and as lightly as possible without, without them having to spend a lot of time, you know, messing around. So it becomes the, the act of texturing becomes less about painting textures and more about being clever with your UVs and being clever with how you go about the execution of your project. And from where we sit, um, like I said earlier, we're, we're never going to be the company that's building 10,000 assets in a month. And that's not really our goal. Our goal is to be practical and to give practical tools for artists to, to benefit from. And, you know, in the end, if you can come into our website and spend whatever, $15 and save yourself several hours of work, why wouldn't you? That's, right. and that's, 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 that's really where it is. And, 
that's not to say that you should do that all in your portfolio, but having a greater understanding of the time value proposition of of building these assets by yourself versus downloading them and just moving on to the next stage is is extremely important. But it's also important, I think, to have a conversation about what what do people want to see in your portfolio? Because mm-hmm. I find with a lot of students, it's like they feel like they need to do everything themselves. And then I bring in experts and, and people like that. And and really, you know, like a level designer, for example, it doesn't build an asset to save them their life, basically. They are always pulling from props and from, you know, outsource facilities, things like that. Absolutely. Um, and a big part of this that I think people miss is that you have to make a pretty picture or an ugly mm. picture, but it's got to be a damn good picture. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I'll, I'll get to this in a sec, but I, I fully agree that if you're presenting yourself as an artist, your stuff needs to look really nice. And that's, those are the things that I can tell when I'm looking through portfolios, the ones that really stand out to me and the ones that really, really shine aren't necessarily the ones with the most complete skill set of an artist. They're the ones where an artist understands the context of what they're trying to do, right? And that that kind of stuff is extremely clear to me. When I'm looking at art and an artist is not only creating something that makes me think and looks good, but they're also using their assets in a way that creates context for telling a story or for setting a stage or, you know, for establishing character on a character, right? Those are Mm -hmm. the things that really stand out to me because, I mean, how many times have you seen a portfolio and it's just like, this is a female model I made in a T-pose. Right, yeah. And it's like, okay, that has its use. And I'm going to look at the topology. I'm going to make sure that all of that stuff looks good and that you did a good job and you took your time in it. But, you know, if your character doesn't have character, then I can tell pretty quickly that that portfolio is not something I want to see that much more of. And that's, and I'm not trying to be negative, but like providing character to a scene and providing context to a story is all I care about as an artist. Mm-hmm. It can be, it can be crap. But if it's giving me character, it's giving me context, and it's 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 providing information for a story, then I'm in. I, I think it's 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 that's art. And you know, some good examples of that. Did you ever play the game uh, The Witness? No. It was a, It's like a Jonathan Blow puzzle game, um, and it has this really fascinating art style that has very very little. Uh, like established texture, no characters, it's just a world. And what these artists did was create stories using the most simple props and the most simple design possible. And that's that's what I, you know, if somebody presented me a portfolio that looked like that, and obviously The Witness is a beautiful game, but maybe 10 years ago, I would have thought this was an amateur portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that they build environments that tell stories using only the objects at hand. And that's where I get interested in art. Right. Um, Let's take a look. Yeah. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. So beautiful, simple. Super simple. And I think this is a a distillation of what very fine environment art can be. Um, And these things, they look nice, but they're not complicated. I think anybody in this chat could make this. 
there's really not that much to it. They're very simple. What they are is they're elegant and they've spent a lot of time figuring out how to tell a story with their art and give me context to a scene through their art. And that's where, that's where a, a portfolio stands out to me, which I know is kind of abstract, but that's really what it is, is it gives me context. Hmm, that makes sense. And uh, Travis, if you don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and uh, show this. We had, I had this conversation oh, cool. with Travis. No pressure, no pressure, Travis. Yeah, right. <laughs> so here we were on the 30th, right? And, oh, different Travis. <laughs> so here we are, Travis O'Connor. And um, we're looking at the scene and it's like, it's technically executed. He's got a bunch of stuff. Uh, he, it's, it's looking, um, you know, like you can see all of the pieces of the puzzle are there, but it's not coming together. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to understand like, where do we move the, what do we do to move the needle to, to make this kind of work? And I was talking to some people just the other day, I was, I was thinking about, oh, there was this unreal, uh, there was a storm test in unreal that like blew up and oh i saw that that was so cool yeah it was amazing and and then on top of that there was rebirth you know and we had joe garth mm -hmm. um and we had um we had victor from quixel in here on the podcast yeah. a bit ago and what it, it what occurred to me yesterday i just kind of like I just kind of woke up and i just it just hit me that you know we don't know what's possible right yeah and we're all like trying to kind of fit ourselves into these, even, you know, we're artists, we're supposed to be out there pushing the boundaries, but we're all trying to fit ourselves into these little sausages that we know people hire, uh -huh. will hire us for, right? Absolutely. And, and so, you know, I, I see this as an artist, you know, in, in, in Travis's case, you know, he's like, we're pulling this scene together and it's, it's, it's got it all, but it's not there yet. It's not a complete peace you know and and so we were trying to figure this out and it, it just occurred to us as we were going through this process that you know it doesn't take much no. to just a little bit of light in the hallway you know and he's gone through and he's 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 editing this now but a little bit of light in the hallway now i'm now i have a sense of like i, I have a purpose here i've got okay boom i'm just looking at this corner yep and now i'm like i'm looking Look at and something's coming in it's dramatic gives yeah. context look at the blood on the ground there's yeah. story there's storytelling in the environment it makes me want to be there and understand what happened yeah right and it's it really... one thing that changed and it wasn't that he figured out some cool substance trick it wasn't skill it was being an artist yeah yeah you know what you mentioned victor from quixel that yeah. guy that guy said something very important to me many years ago on a podcast when i was talking to him mm -hmm. um he said that, uh, how do I say this? It was, it was much along the lines of, of breaking apart a scene and looking at the individual elements that tell the story, but then mm -hmm. uh, building a story within that scene. And that's really what it looks like you did here. Between these two shots, first of all, this is a much better composed shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a very nice shot. And I really like, I really like how dramatic the lighting is in it. But what you did with the blood stains and the uh, oh yeah sorry here, what what Victor said is uh, good art should really invite you in and reward you for looking at it deeper, mm, I love right? That. And that's that's what makes something go from uh, 
whatever standard to something that's interesting. It's something that rewards the viewer for digging into it and exploring the details. And if you if you actually look at that advice, that's not that complicated to do, right? It's it's really it's really not like a a complicated task to invite a user in and add a few more details to it, a viewer in rather. And that's right. exactly what you did with the blood and the low camera angle. It's moody, nice lighting. And then when I start to look further at it, I start to see I start to see other really nice details like that cool server rack in there. That's neat. I don't really know what that is, but it's cool. It's rewarding to dig deeper. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, Travis did. This really just came um, together, but I think this speaks to what is important for somebody. Um, you know, I'm always speaking to game artists, students, but I mean, like, it could be an artist, a student. It's like, what is important in our portfolio? What is it that moves the needle and gets us um, work? One of my students I was just talking to today, and he's like, uh, you know, I wanted to do this in 3D code and, you know, all of that stuff. And I was like, you know, 3D code's not going to get you a job. Yeah. You know, it's not a yeah. it's not a needle mover, you know, so cut it, cut it out, get ruthless, <laughs> focus on what's going to move the needle because, you know, you're yeah. not unless you're independently wealthy, and, you know, you have all the time in the world to, to mess with things. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. You know, come come visit me, please. And let's, <laughs> let's have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's about it's about using the right tools for the right job just as much as it is about having an understanding for where you fit in and you know if your artist if your if your portfolio isn't you know telling me story show me show me the other things that you're good at right? right maybe you're not the most artistic person but maybe you're super technically sound to offset that maybe you have a very good understanding of trim sheets and maybe you have like maybe you've spent a lot of time thinking modularly and building really nice, well thought out modules for your scene. Um, in the end, when I'm hiring, those are the things that, that matter to me just as much as artistic ability is if somebody can demonstrate technical uh, understanding, which is just as important to me, right? I want yeah. somebody who's thinking about building building these things modularly and you know I don't want to see unique textures on very many items it's just a waste of time when we have right. trim sheets right like it's just if if you're building tons and tons of unique textures it's telling me that you're spending way too much time building unique textures is is really it mm -hmm. and uh the fact is at this point, and just like it was 10 years ago, you can get just as far with a trim sheet as you can a unique texture on an object. So those are the things, right? If you're not, if you're not showing me, uh, if you're not showing me like artistic, you know, tons of artistic talent, show me technical aptitude, show me, show me what you can bring to the table otherwise. And I think that's just as important. Uh, and also I'm going to use that same word again. I use it over and over and over as context. If your if your technical ability is demonstrating and lending context to a scene and to an environment and to a project, that is so valuable to me, right? Mm -hmm. So focus on context is is what I would say, and um, I I would say that my my own personal skill set leans much more closely toward the technical uh, than it does the artistic. I would say that I've had a lot of good people around me who have taught me how to look at art and how to understand art and how to improve art. But I wouldn't say that I'm like the most artistically talented person. I would say that every every opportunity I've had in my career is based on my ability to execute in a technically sound way. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, that's that's if you don't feel like you're the most artistic person in the world, 
don't just give up. There are so many more valuable ways that you can lend yourself to a process. Uh, just get there, right? Get there. Make a pretty picture. Use Quixel Mixer. Use whatever. Use Substance Share. Use Game Textures. Use Photoshop. Use use those tools, but demonstrate to me that you understand the process, that you're not just fumbling around in the process. What do you think game artists, like aspiring and those who are struggling still, um, what do you think they're missing? What, what piece is, are they just not quite connecting? Generally, I think that people are getting hyper-focused on details. Mm -hmm. um, like if we go back and look at Travis's first piece, like the first version of that. Mm -hmm. What I see here is a person who has an understanding, like in this piece, I see a person who has an understanding of the process, right? Yeah. Like has demonstrated they know how to texture, has demonstrated they understand material, has demonstrated that they can uh, light. Uh, what I and, and those are all valuable things, but you have to understand that almost everybody can do that at this point. Those are like, that's like the baseline when you finish a program to have mm -hmm. that ability right what i don't see from people is that next that next stage that travis took this to which i think is impressive where you realize something was missing and you started telling a story with it right mm -hmm. and that's 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 what i tend to think is missing is i see a lot of portfolios of people who know how to do what they're doing they know how to you know bake a normal map and they know how to do a high high poly model and bake it down but what they don't do is the next thing which is making it like look right which is telling a story which is setting a scene and i think that that's what what separates like a mediocre uh, i'm not gonna use the word mediocre i don't think that's fair um that's what separates uh I get that though. It's it's hard for us to have that conversation because it's like we have to talk, we have to talk about the like there is a hierarchy which but we don't like to talk hierarchy because it's not a linear hierarchy and you can you never know when your work is suddenly better. And then yeah. in my case, I never know when it's actually going to suck because that actually happens fairly frequently. <laughs> I think yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? It's not is also not being afraid to mess up on your work, right? Yeah, not being afraid to, to take a risk because those are the things that that make us grow. Um, so, like again, he he clearly took a step back here and provided context for a larger scene. He makes me feel like there's a larger world out here than just this room, right? There's something larger going on, and this is just a moment in that mm -hmm. in that. And that's what I like about it, right? That's what I like about any portfolio. And you can do that same thing with anything. It can just be, you can show me a brick texture. And if you can tell me a story with a single brick texture, I'll hire you on the spot. Oh, you know was, what I mean? Um, like, like tell me tell me a story with your texture. Give me context. Make me believe that it's it's a, a snapshot in a moment of time of a specific scene that's a larger part of a story in providing context to that story, and I'll hire you on the spot. I remember seeing a, um, a material demo somebody did, somebody over in uh, Dynasties empire Ooh, yeah. uh, and uh he did it was just brick but he put a gobo on it of a guy walk opening a door and walking into this room very menacing like so you just saw this shadow on this Sweet. brick texture and it was like it was so simple but so amazingly beautiful yeah. you got the entire picture like yeah. that yeah and you get you get that with with your characters right i mean that's that's it's no different than what you're doing when you're developing a a, a beautiful character or a bust right 
it's not it's not the the technical whatever it's not the the edge flow that that makes it look awesome mm-hmm. it's giving it's telling the story within that right making making the character look anguished or you know telling a story with the the way they're dressed or the way they're carrying their body their body language that kind of stuff yeah and i you know i I always go back to that word is context and I have it. I I must have that word written down a hundred times around my house and my workstation is that my job as an artist is to provide context for something that's larger. And that also helps me avoid um, getting lost in the details Mm. in that same way. So I would recommend, I would recommend that if you're struggling and you're at a point with your art where you think it looks good, it's, not quite there yet to take a step back and don't be afraid to establish how this scene fits into something that's larger. This character fits into something that's larger. This texture fits into something that's larger that gives me context to the size of the world. And, you know, those are, those are the things that as an artist that move the needle for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've worked with a lot of great artists over the years and, that's something that that always comes back with all of those 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 people is that they're capable of telling a story with very simple elements and other people don't see why that's important. That's everything right. in video games. It's everything. This is a tough one, um, Ray. Ray, I want to jump in. And uh, so we have this dilemma as artists. Um, in the game industry, right? You want to show that you can do all of this stuff. Here is this is this is Ray's environment, nice. and it is you know it's a thing of beauty. I love the signature. Wow. Ray. Uh, wait, do you do a walkthrough? There we go. Look at that walkthrough. Yeah. Look at that. Beautiful. Yeah, this takes so much time, you know, and it's. It, you know, you can have dark moments where you don't yeah. know exactly how it's all going to work out. And I remember, you know, lighting this stuff and getting like small changes in value. Cause my comments to Ray were like, this is too dark. This is too light. So poor Ray yep. is like, how, how do I translate this into lighting? And, you know, 20,000 other things that he's got to do to adjust for my critique, you know, yep. and all of that. So it's hard, but um, you know, how do we manage those the details and the context yeah you know it's it's funny um i had uh this phase in college where i was like super depressed in in game art school because i was like so overwhelmed with all the things i was learning and i felt like i was terrible at everything and Mm -hmm. i got home one night i'm in vancouver so it was kind of legal there we smoked a little whatever substance and i watched uh I watched Bob Ross for like three hours. No and way. He was, he kept saying this thing that was so important to me in my life, which was like, he's like, this is the, he had three stages of an art. You have the block out, the awkward stage, and then the done stage. And I realized that the awkward stage is like 5% until, until 98%. Everything just feels <laughs> awkward and weird until it doesn't. And once you acknowledge that as part of your process, you can kind of move past some of the anxiety that that causes you. Yeah. You know, and that's, it was, it's a, that was a really funny moment for me, but yeah, like, uh, and I'll go back to my own experience when Matt and I created 900 materials in one year, I got very comfortable living in that awkward stage Mm -hmm. between, between something looking good and something looking 
like it wasn't finished. So, you know, if I had advice for you, if you were, if you were feeling anxious about something, uh, I would tell you that the awkward stage is just part of art. It is. I'm sure you can relate with characters, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's stages where you're on a, when you're, when you're deep in it and you're trying to build this piece of art and nothing is working. And then eventually you'll, you know, make the right brushstroke and you'll be like, oh, and you'll see it and you'll understand it. And you'll kind of push through that awkward phase. Yeah. I just actually went to Puerto Rico. I just got back from a, a, a workshop with the, an amazing sculptor, Christina Cordova, and she does terracotta. And she uh -huh. builds everything hollow and she builds life-size, over-life-size figurative sculpture out of clay, completely hollow. And, <laughs> and so I'm like, man, I got to learn this. And I wanted to do this for a couple of years. I couldn't talk my family into the time. And this time I finally did. And um, and then I, I got into it and it was day one. And I realized how old I was. <laughs> You know, and I was like, I, cause I just felt like a child again. And it's just like, it's such a humbling experience to start again. Cause the awkward yeah. phase was literally the entire time I was in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and <laughs> I got comfortable with it, right? Yeah. You know, it, day one, I was like, and I'm surrounded by all these people and, you know, and I was just like, oh my God, I suck. I'm. I'm a loser. I lost it. I've been <laughs> teaching too long. I've been running a business too long. Who do I think I am? Like all those thoughts come into mind, you know? Yeah. Well, and, um, yeah. Yeah. How, so how did you push through it? I mean, what was, what was the moment where you realized that that was okay, that that was just part of the process? First I had a margarita that yeah. helped. Yeah, it helps loosen you up a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> went to sleep. <laughs> I woke up the next day and I realized I was in Puerto Rico. Let's have some fun. Yeah. You know, and stop being so egotistical and worried about my myself. And so yeah. it got better after that. And then I took the sculpture home and now I see 20,000 problems and the arm is about a half an inch too short. And there's this proportional issue, you know, but whatever, you know. Yeah, next this, time, right? next time and that's the sculptor was really for um she was really great christina was really great when she's talking to me because she was like i see that you know you're struggling you know which was the polite word uh for my for my facial expression and uh, <laughs> you're struggling with the modeling and the clay and i was like struggle i think this is like warfare like these yeah. guys are not talking and because when you work in terracotta you have to work linearly it like every step builds on the next or, you know. That sounds fun. Yeah, it, it was very, at the end of the day, it was very liberating. I loved it and it was great, but it was a process. And that's, I think, one of the things that artists miss is you have a process and that path, you don't have a lot of control over. Oh. No, absolutely not. And it's frustrating. That's the worst part of it is that sometimes you feel like you're just a victim of that process, right? And yeah. It's, it's hard to remember that every artist, every talented artist that you know, everybody who's made it work in this industry lives most of their life in that awkward stage of their art. And that's just how it feels. Mm -hmm. That's just, it's just something you have to get comfortable with. And Ray, that's a really nice piece. I'm, I'm looking at it on ArtStation. I'm quite impressed. Really nice. A lot of fun stuff in there. Really fun colors too. I really like the teal and the red. Yeah, he's he stayed true to that. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a fun color scheme.
so you have been through a lot of changes in the industry at uh, via game textures from the materials where you're dealing with the fuse and specular and now with the materials where you're still dealing with the fuse inspector, they just call it different. Yeah. Um, what do you see? What do you see coming down the um, the pike? You know, I think I think the interesting things that are coming down in the pipeline are not so much on the the technical part of art as much mm -hmm. as they are on some of the things, the interesting things that people are working on that that help to solve issues after that process, which is mm -hmm. world design and world decoration and mm -hmm you know, building an environment. And I've seen some pretty interesting tech demos of people using AI and machine learning to decorate their worlds using uh, simple props, albeit, but the things I see coming are less about, uh, you know, less, less about the technical ways we create art and more about how art is deployed in a way that is more efficient and more effective toward our time. Mm. They will ultimately result in people being able to build deeper and, and more uh, complicated worlds without having to put so much effort into it by hand. And, you know, fact is, is I've, I've also seen the other thing where people are trying to do and use AI to, to generate art for them. And I'm not a believer in that yet. I haven't seen anything that convinces me that any any sort of AI could replace what what Ray and what Travis did. Uh, mm, I have to so test it, you on that. Let me show you this guy. Yeah, yeah, show me. Uh, Albiac, Sergio. There we go. It's. I mean, there's some variables to what we're saying here, but this guy, this is the one guy that has me wow. questioning. So he's doing generative art but there's of course a variable because he's inputting something that somebody made yep. and generating on top of that an aesthetic which i think is the the problem computers Those have are awesome yeah they're not generating but man i look at some of this stuff and i'm like uh this is amazing like i'd like to have painted that yeah look at the one two to the right the weird polygon one uh the one you have selected yeah that Wow. That's and cool. That's really says, cool. Yeah. He creates little machines, little, um, they're, you know, you could call it, it's not AI yet. Uh, although yeah. I, I don't know what he's doing now, but, um, they're basically logic machines that are just running operations form of early yeah. AI. And, uh, and he just runs these things and prints these things out and saves them and just does it, you know, X, Y, and Z, but it's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah, so I mean, the things I see coming down the stage are less about uh, technique and more about just technology trying to mm -hmm. catch up to to what's possible right now. So I think I think we're going to be at a period of time here for a few years where things are normalized and a little stable. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of interesting. We're in a really in a really strange part of of the three D industry because for the first time ever, film and you know ray tracing and all of that stuff is racing to catch up with real time. Uh, and as a result, things are going to stagnate a little bit until they can be fully caught up with real time. Hmm. I was uh, I was just in Vancouver doing a bunch of studio tours, and we were talking about you know how Star Wars used Unreal Engine to do some of their rendering, and wow. we're we're getting we're getting wow. very deep in uh, deep in that conversation, and there's a very real interest in film and rendering to stop 
doing like ray trace rendering and move mm-hmm. it toward real time. And it's something that we've seen, right? There was a moment where real time very much, very quickly converged into the same workflows as film and visual effects where you're using like the physically based rendering and uh, simulated ray tracing. And then with Unreal Engine, I think real-time rendering really took a step past film and visual effects as far as technology goes. And, you know, just the amount of quality that's possible out of real-time rendering. And the result is, is that film is trying to catch up and video games are leading the charge into graphic rendering, which is, as far as I know, the first time that's ever really happened. Hmm, makes sense. Uh, so one thing I'm really interested in is I'm, I'm, I'm interested in watching how film deploys their resources, their, their huge amount of resources to catch up with real-time rendering. And I'm very interested in seeing how real-time rendering is going to affect the overall landscape of 3D art. Uh, just in general, I, I think that I think that what is happening now in real-time is so fascinating and it's so far beyond what anybody thought it could be capable of just a few years ago. Totally. Yeah, so those are the things that are on the horizon that I'm watching. Um, and I don't disagree with what you said about AI. I just think that I think that it's kind of a buzzword right now, and I think that there's nothing to worry about for artists who <laughs> were a long ways off from a computer being able to make a sweet server data bank 3D model and texture. Right. We're a long ways off from any of that stuff. So anytime I see that, it kind of raises my eyebrow. But um, I think as far as like world world decoration and world building, in world design, I think we're right there on the cusp of of machine learning uh, taking a huge step forward and starting to decorate some worlds. Uh, and I don't think it'll be very long before we see the first games coming out that are entirely decorated by algorithms. Mm-hmm. I just don't think we're far off where you feed in this input of libraries that your outsource team has made and tell a room, tell the computer that this is a library, decorate it like a library. This is a auto shop decorate it like an auto shop right um it's a few years off but I, it's definitely inbound i saw that uh andrew andrew uh maximoff from naughty dog had quit naughty dog he's their technical director for a decade uh he had quit and he'd started an ai world building company is that promethean yeah promethean yeah. prometheus or promethean uh promethean i don't know <laughs> <Andrew>. promethean <laughs> so, yeah promethean something there yeah, you know those are the those are the people that I'm really keeping an eye on right now because I think that I think that that is where that is where a lot of world building is going to go at some point where we're still going to need artists to build all of these assets and define the general look and feel and storytelling and mood and all of the important stuff. But I think that I think that we're on the verge of something interesting happening there. Um, what do you see? Because you've been doing your studio tours uh, and you're pretty much pretty connected. What do you see as the needs, you know, um, and where I'm going with this is I, I like to focus my students on like where are the needs in the marketplace, right? Oh. Um, like, for example, we were just talking today about uh, about Epic and um, I was asking my students, like, you know, how many how many know Fortnite and how many know you know, what's going on there. And it's like 80% because we're all over age Fortnite's, you know, the younger yeah. audience. <laughs> and so I'm like, eh, you know, I'm like this generated $3 billion in profit in 2018 for Epic, yeah. $3 billion in profit. And so this is this 
huge wave in our industry that we have to be paying attention to. Um, so I'm like, you know, the, one of the big things you got to be paying attention to is what's the factor around there. So it's, it's the whole, they need a new season every, you know, so many days, you know, they, yeah. they need yeah. a whole new level. That's a big deal. And other companies are going to be moving to that whole battle pass. They're going to be needing these open worlds. They're going to need an open world every 40 some odd days. They're going to need a lot of stuff constantly. Yeah, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, that's a driver. So where, you know, and, and so my instructions to my students are, is, you know, you got to be thinking about building that and you got to be thinking about, you know, um, answering that market, that, that call. So how does that manifest, I guess, is the question I'm, I'm trying to drive to. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to what should environment artists, what should texture artists, what should they have in their portfolio that helps them stay at the, at the leading edge of this charge, these changes. Does that make you know, sense? One thing, yeah, it makes total sense. I think I think that one thing that is not necessarily overtaught, but overindulged in in portfolios is the the prop making mm -hmm. uh, aspect of it. Because the fact is, is that most of these main studios, big studios, are are outsourcing these things to yeah. other countries at this point. The prop making because it's cheaper and more time effective, and uh, you know. Companies like Epic have an entire outsourcing company in China that does this for them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not to say that all hope is lost because what they need is people who can successfully build a world and build a story using those assets, right? So if, I, if I'm sitting here looking at artist portfolios and I'm a recruiter for Epic Game, which I should fully say that I'm not, I would I would be looking at how does this person bring this around and tell me a story to like, like what technical skills do they have that are going to allow them to get an advantage of it? Cause you're right. 40, they have a 40 day timeline on that. That's crazy to, to build right. substantial changes and potentially thousands of assets. What kind of technical understanding do they have that's going to allow my team to work faster and work more effectively? Uh, so you know, if you if you really want to stand out as an environment artist, figure out how to do blueprints in, in Unreal Engine. Figure out how to make simple levers and simple actions in, blue, in, in Unreal Engine, things that are going to alleviate pressure from other departments, you know, from game designers having to build like a, whatever, a switch that opens a door. Figure out how you can make yourself more valuable in that in that process. And... You know, it's 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 interesting that you say Fortnite because I think that the demands for working on Fortnite are a lot different than the demands of working on, like, say, Call of Duty, right? Right. Or Cyberpunk twenty seven. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And and those those companies would be looking for totally different types of people. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're Epic and you're hiring for Fortnite, you're looking for people who are like almost full technical artists who can batch through huge amounts of data and information and organize them and build, build things quickly and quick and dirty really, and make it still work efficiently. If you're looking at cyberpunk, you're looking for people who are extremely talented artists, but also understand all of these little tips and tricks to make things lighter and more efficient, right? Mm -hmm. They're looking at people who are building awesome gym sheets and they're looking at people who are building really fully modular environments and uh, modular textures and they're thinking in that way 
right? They're demonstrating the amount that that type of thought where they're they're seeing how far they can get with a single asset, how many different ways they can reuse it, uh, and and how clever they can be. And if you're building for your Call of Duty, right, you might be looking for somebody who is capable of building extremely high quality props and uh, somebody who's capable of of building environments effectively with extremely high amounts of information and heavy data. Uh, so, you know, I guess, I guess targeting where you want to work based on your skill set is not the most unwise decision there. Um, I wish I had better, better information on that because it's, 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 it's a total grab bag right now of, of what it means. And the people that are getting hired are the guys who can do foliage really well, who can do really natural looking stuff and make really natural looking textures and really natural looking plants. That seems to be the biggest demand I've seen uh, okay. when I'm going from studio to studio. And I'm, and I'm not saying like go and get mega scans stuff. I'm saying like people who actually can sit there and build it out. That, that seems to be an extremely high demand because those are things that they're not getting effectively from outsourced shops. And, you know, first person characters, first person models, uh, and like extremely focused uh, hero props are things that are always going to have a demand in every studio, regardless of where you are. Jose, does that kind of address your question? Jose was asking about the, the idea of competition. And I like what you said about how, you know, you just have to find a way to make yourself more valuable like you know because I mean I've had students that they they come into the game art institute and you know anything's better than Starbucks right so yeah, yeah. we're like okay good you know something better than this but it may not be exactly what you want so you may be a character artist for example and your first job is you're managing outsource facility which has almost uh -huh. zero sculpting yeah and so now you're not happy because you're like, okay, I'm, I'm basically managing somebody else who's doing this at a significantly lower pay rate. And, you know, they're doing what I want to be doing. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge issue. It's a huge question, Jose. Um, but the question or the, the answer you gave of being more valuable, I think is important. And also remember that there's a, like, um, there's a, there's a ladder there's a process and it's not just this job, it's the career, mm -hmm. you know, cause you're not at Starbucks. So, yeah. Know. Well, the fact is, is that those, those, those people um, are doing valuable work and, you know, the, the people in, in China and India and Pakistan and Indonesia and Taiwan and the, the outsourced countries that are heavy in that work are doing extremely important work and they're filling an extremely important gap. And the difference you have and the advantage you have in not participating that in that is that you can focus your time on higher quality assets because that's not what their mandate is. Their mandate is to build stuff quick and get it out the door quick, mm -hmm. right? And when it comes to building like a... a, a a modern game, you need people and, and like hero assets and, and the things that are driving the story, the assets and the environments that are driving the story, they need people who understand art still. And that's where, that's where we make our money. Right. Right. Is, is accepting that those companies and those, those industries and in the outsourcing industry is extremely valuable to us. And it's extremely valuable to artists in the industry in general. 
because it doesn't actually take your jobs away. It gives you it gives you more jobs. It gives you more more to do because you're not spending your time down in whatever. You're not spending your time modeling library bookshelves and books. You're decorating. You're building the world. You're you're telling the bigger story, which is why these companies even bother having American studios or you know these these major headquarters studios is because they need teams on site who have the technical prowess and the storytelling ability to take all of this data, all of these external sources of information, models, assets, music, and build one main product with all of them, right? Mm. So the fact mm. is, is that if you're in, in this industry and you're sitting there building books and you're building whatever, mm. bottles and random assets, that's fine. Uh, I mean, it's great, but those companies serve a very important job in the process, which in the end makes these games look much bigger and much better and makes uh, our teams have much less work to do. You know, 10 mm -hmm. years ago when we're in this industry, we're building all of that stuff ourselves. Right. Right. I'm spending, I'm spending 60 hours a week baking stuff and I'm modeling environments while my stuff is baking. And I have a totally different computer here where I'm doing performance testing and like, uh, if I had a library of assets that were built to spec from these companies and had that to work with and knew how to work with them and deploy them properly, my life would have been so much easier. So I would not look at them as competition as much as I would say that it's a feature. That's awesome. Um, one of the last questions I like to ask, uh, if you guys got any more questions, make sure you shout them out. But one of the last questions I like to ask is how much of your success do you attribute to luck? And how much do you attribute to talent or to um, to work? Um, I would say all of it is luck. In my in in my particular experience, I've mm -hmm. I've been lucky to have smart people around me, and I've been lucky to have support, and I've been lucky to have the amazing resources that I have when I need them. You know, like the age of the internet is pretty amazing. Right. Um, I would say that, yeah, maybe that's not fair. I do work hard, but so much of everything is working hard to put yourself in a position where you can be lucky, I guess is a way of saying it, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. You can, you can kind of create your own luck if you if you dig in deep and, and you put yourself in a place where you can be discovered and you can get lucky i say that in quotes but there's there's i think i think it's an interesting question because i i have a lot because i i try not to i try to be very self-aware of that that i wouldn't have got anywhere without the smart people around me who put me in a place to to succeed but i also wouldn't have had them unless i had made the effort and got lucky getting those people around me so you know it's kind of a give and take awesome tanner my friend thank you so much for being here for answering questions yeah. Does anybody else have any other questions? All right, guys. If you do, make sure you can send them to me, and I will forward them off to Tanner, and, um, and we'll get your questions answered. Otherwise, you know where to find him at GameTextures.com, um, and then also ArtStation forward slash GameTextures.com. Yeah. All right. They've got a YouTube where they've got a bunch of stuff going on over there. And... Um, we stream every every Wednesday and Friday where we're just where we spend a lot of time building trim sheets and building out trim sheets and showing people how to build worlds and build environments. So I would say it's a really, really good opportunity to join us and uh, 
you know, just watch the process because I think that there's a lot to learn and there's a lot in video game art that you can learn just by observing. Awesome. All yeah. right. Thank you, Tanner. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for the awesome questions. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.